Welcome to the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. I hope everyone's doing well. This is Trevor, and I am here with Paul. Paul, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. Glad to see you again, Trevor. And uh, yeah, kind of enjoying a, a rare, rainy morning here in Colorado. We've had a lot of hot weather, so it's, it's very welcome. Yeah, that's how it's been here too. Very hot. Uh, but for some reason, my grass is green. I haven't even had to turn on the water over the last little while because it, we got a lot of rain last week oh, and nice. through through this week. So yeah, it is it is really nice. <laughs> so Makes you appreciate it. It's good reading weather. <laughs> it is. It is. And you don't have to go out and do chores outside exactly. in, in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good excuse. <laughs> what can we do about this? Well, let's all sit down and read together as a family. Exactly. I'll read my book. Uh, speaking of which, uh, what have you been? What have you been reading? Yeah, so I have been reading a couple of books right now. One of them is one that you actually mentioned earlier, um, and it's Everything Like Before by again. Oh. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Kjell Askeldsen. That's that was exactly right. Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I'm fluent in Norwegian, as you can tell. So, yeah, no, it's this. As you mentioned before, it's this story collection from Archipelago Books. And as I may have mentioned before, I first saw it in one of their 2021 catalogs, and just immediately marked it as one to get. It's beautiful, but on top of that, it just sounds wonderful. From their copy, you know, just a quick description. It says a man and a woman in a quiet remote house, an old man on a park bench, an estranged brother in a railway cafe. The characters are surrounded by absence, filled with disquiet and longing. They want, they walk to a fjord, they smoke, they drink on a veranda, they listen to conversations that drift through open windows. So, you know, it's kind of a good little description there. I'm absolutely loving it so far. As you can guess from the description, it's not super plot driven. It's a lot of insights into people's lives and relationships. Very strange so far, often kind of unsettling. Um, kind of leaves you feeling a little disoriented sometimes, which I love all of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it seems to focus a lot on disconnection and just kind of damaged and unhappy relationships. But there's also some some humor mixed in as well. Um, I don't know. Did you ever end up finishing that one? Or are you still I, making your way through it? I, I actually haven't picked it up for a little while. I probably have read, I don't know, 15 to 20 of the stories. So I've got another 15, 20 left. Yeah. So, so far, I'm about probably in that same range and really enjoying it so far. And then I'm also just revisiting one of my favorite authors, Willa Cather. You know, in the past, I've read and loved My Antonia, you know, The Professor's House. And so I recently loaned Death Comes for the Archbishop to my aunt. And I got it back after a couple of weeks and she was just raving about it. And so it kind of inspired me to pick up my own book and start reading it. So, you know, it's set back in the mid 1800s and it just basically follows this Catholic bishop and his friend. They're sent by the Catholic Church down to New Mexico to kind of attempt to reawaken Catholicism in the region. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's as always with Cather, there's lots of beautiful descriptions of nature and landscape. And, you know, there's also these fascinating kind of complicated characters. So, yeah, really enjoying it so far. So those are the two I've been making my way through. Oh, uh, and I love Death Comes for the Archbishop. I haven't read it in probably 20, 25 years, but... I used to put that as one of my absolute favorite books and, and most peaceful books, like yeah. just one that brings me in a sense of, of peace. So yeah, that's I can awesome. see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I, it's long overdue, so I'm happy to finally make my way to it. How about you? What are you reading? So I, a couple of things, kind of like you, inspired by our last discussion, I think either that day or maybe it was the next day, I picked up Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn, which is oh, yeah. one of his most famous you know, uh, books, trilogies, kind of got things kicked off for him. And 
I loved it. I finished it. It's like a thousand million pages, but um, (laughs) I think it's like 650 pages, something around there. I read that thing and finished it pretty fast. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, last week when I was in, I I had a trip into Wyoming of of all places. Hello, anyone from Wyoming. (laughs) I'm always nervous to go through your state um, because it can snow in the warmest weather. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and make me stuck there. But this time that didn't happen. I instead got a flat tire on I-80 oh, no. and had to get that fixed. And so I spent another night in Wyoming that I wasn't intending to, but where often a situation like that, I'd be too anxious to actually read. There, There's just something about this kind of book that, that I, w- I was able to sit down and read that night. And it was really, really nice. A lot of fun. I really liked it. I, I liked it so much. There's a, there's a sequel that's even longer. And while well, I finished Mistborn, on like Thursday night this week at one in the morning. And I had work on Friday. I don't do that very often. Yeah, I didn't have like a, a, a you know, something that was terrible. I wasn't being irresponsible about work. You know, I, I knew I could, I knew I could do it and not, not right. drop any, any balls, but um, you're among uh, friends though. So even if you were, we won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, the next day I did start the the sequel the Well of Ascensions what's called because I'm just enjoying it so much but the other book that I'm reading currently is uh, Barbara Pym's Excellent Women uh, have you read this one I, I feel have like you probably, I have yeah, yeah I, I love Barbara Pym as you probably know and that mm-hmm. one in particular I thought it was great well I'm I'm really enjoying it and I just wanted to maybe read a little bit of a passage here. This is this passage comes after kind of a pleasant afternoon that our narrator, Mildred, spends. She she's kind of she's a spinster. She's alone and she does think a lot about what that means for her and for other people around her. Not in a way that this becomes. I, I don't feel a book that that's all that it's, it's about and that's all this character is. There's so much more, but it's a, it's a definitely a part of her. Uh, but she's had a pretty good day. She went with a friend who was someone where maybe. At one time, everyone thought something might happen here, you know, and it didn't. And he's kind of a, probably not worthy of her anyway, from, from what we're, we're seeing. And she buys some mimosa that looks lovely. And um, meanwhile, she's got some downstairs neighbors. The husband there is quite nice to her, but it's just not quite everything. And the next morning, she gets her mimosas because she accidentally left them down with the neighbor. And... It's just not quite as good when the neighbor brings it up. He's disheveled. He's in a dressing gown with his hair ruffled. I felt too embarrassed to look at him and put my hand out through the half-open kitchen door and took the mimosa quickly, putting it in the vase with the twigs and catkins. On the bus, I began thinking that William, that's the the potential boyfriend of the, of the past who is no more, but William had been right, and I was annoyed to have to admit it. Mimosa did lose its first freshness too quickly to be worth buying, and I must not allow myself to have feelings, but must only observe the effects of other people's. Oof. And there's, there's, I don't know, the, these kinds of books are really powerful and uh, kind of opening up the the sadness of other people people's lives. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't know Barbara Pym very well. I just know that I. I just know that I love her, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> even though I haven't read a lot of her books I know. because there's, you know, she has the power to put stuff like that in there. So, yeah, she's amazing. She has, that was a great passage because it, it captured, she is so good at like, I know we talk a lot about quiet lives, but she's absolutely focused on those quiet lives. And often there's that melancholy and, and sadness. She also does have some humor mixed in, but 
Yeah, she's so good at that. She wrote one called A Quartet in Autumn that's about these four older people. And that one's one of my favorites, too. And it has that same kind of feeling to it. So, yeah. That's one of those titles, like we talked about in our very first episode, Mm -hmm. that I've been wanting to read the book for so long, but I'm partially nervous that the book will never be able to do for me what the title does for me. Yeah. Quartet and Autumn. There's just... I know. Like that Frost in May is the book I'm referring to from our from our first episode. But yeah, yeah. Quartet and Autumn. Yeah, exactly. No, it's really good. And and the nice thing about Barbara Pym is often when you're in those used bookstores and you're scouring the shelves, she's one kind of like Anita Bruckner where often you can find her. And so I over the years I just anytime I see one of those, I just pick it up kind of whether I know anything about that particular title or not, and I just feel like I'm in safe hands with her. So, <laughs> I'm not sure I have the same experience at the used bookstores here in Utah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm all, I am often surprised what I can find in in used bookstores here, but I do look a lot for Barbara Pym and Anita Bruckner, and I've never okay. never seen them. It's kind yeah. of disheartening, yeah. you know. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I also am digging through piles of Tom Clancy and you know Mitch, Mitch <laughs> Albom and everything else, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. All right. Well, we today have decided to talk about books about books, the the nonfiction edition. We could do this with, uh, and probably will someday, with books about books that are fictional. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so many of those that are fun, and where where a book or 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 something like that, a book of poetry or a long lost book or something, make has its uh, main point part in the story, and it's kind of a story about books. This is books about books, nonfiction. I'm curious, Paul, what did you do? We, we just said that, like we just said books about books, nonfiction. So I, we probably, we probably could take this so many different ways. And I'm curious if we landed on the same little bit of ground to talk about, or if, if we're going to be talking about really different types of books today, but what did you do to, yeah. to help winnow this down? No, I was curious about that too. Cause I had the same thought. I mean, books about books is, is a very broad topic and it could be taken in a lot of directions. And like you said, maybe we can have fun with this and do a few different episodes covering different aspects. The way I tend to think about it is often, well, I don't know, actually, I don't even know if I could put a narrow it down, but a lot of times it's essays. I found a couple of authors over the years who write really good essays about kind of bibliophilia, bibliomania, you know, just the love of books. And then there's also some kind of memoirs that I've come across that are people who have had lives around books. And so to me, those are kind of two of the categories that immediately pop to mind. And then there's also kind of the Michael Deirda, like, you know, he does a lot of book reviews for the the Washington Post, but also he's written some kind of memoir-y type of things that are also very book-centered. So those are the kinds of books I would say that my mind kind of jumps to first when I hear Uh that. But yeah, how about you? I think we're on the same page. So for example, I I didn't select biographies of writers because... Mm -hmm. You know, while that could be part of this, a lot of biographies about writers uh, deal with the writers through their books and are quite wonderful because of that. But I did think about the memoirs, Mm -hmm. for example. One of my honorable mentions is a is a memoir that's centered around a a book, and i i did I did consider Michael Mm -hmm. uh, Durda books um, because he has so many great essays about just a a book or reading a book. But I I didn't actually go with any of those kind of compilation of essays for for mine, even though I, I I almost did. I went with somewhere again books or reading specific books were used to talk about something maybe a little bit bigger. Okay. And I'll, I'll maybe I'll try to explain that here, yeah. here in a minute. 
I'm intrigued. Well, no, I'm probably overselling that. I, I don't mean like they they taught me, you know, the the, the true meaning of life or anything uh-huh. like that. They just they were talking about specific books, but had some more maybe critical points uh, mm-hmm. in some ways. But but books and reading books and their own personal experiences with that are, are a part with it, except for one. One's just a lark that's about a book. So we'll, nice. we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, sounds good. Oh, all right. Do you want to give us your your first uh, your first sample, your first sure. pick? Sure, absolutely. So the first one I'll jump right in is um, Ex Libris, Confessions of a Common Reader by Anne Fadiman. I don't even remember how I came across this, probably with Google looking up something like books about books, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Anne Fadiman, she's the daughter of the renowned, you know, literary radio and television personality Clifton Fadiman who I think is maybe most famous, at least among bookish circles, for his lifetime reading plan, which kind of laid out this classic plan that you could read throughout your life to kind of make you this well-rounded, well-read person. Just um, in time to die. Yeah, yes, no. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you finish the last page and that's the end. Um, yeah. And then apparently, I didn't know this part, but her mother was also a very literary uh, World War II correspondent and an author herself. So came from a very literary family. And this book, a lot of it touches on that. It's made up of kind of 18 of these personal essays about her life with books. Some of them focus on her as a youth, some of them, you know, later in life. So some of the essay titles, just to give you a little flavor, Marrying Libraries, Never Do That to a Book, The Literary Glutton, Words on a, on a Flyleaf. So just even by, you know, reading through hmm. those, it makes me intrigued as a, as a book lover. So, you know, there's one that was about her growing up with her parents and, and always kind of what we talked about in past episodes, seeing all the books up on the shelves. But she also writes about playing blocks, building castles with her dad's 22-volume set of Trollope. So it's like that idea of not only books as like these literary objects, but just as a part of your life in in all different forms, which I really liked. Um, there's another one I really liked about kind of the process of merging libraries with her husband after they're married. And it's it's funny, but also has some of that kind of like, there's a little bit of like competitiveness, like if they have the same copy of the same book, like who gets to keep theirs and things like that. And then it also kind of, talks a little bit about, you know, what happens to her books after she dies. So, you know, it kind of covers the whole gamut. Um, From a review I read about um, the essay, Never Do That to a Book, they say, she identifies those who revere books physically and are therefore believers in courtly love, and those who underline, make marginal notes, tear pages out, or keep reading books until they fall apart, and are thus believers in carnal love. And it says she allows that the world has room for both. <laughs> so I like that. I think I err a little bit on the side of courtly love. You know, I, I tend to not do a whole lot of underlining, but I've been wavering a little bit in recent months where I'm starting to mark up my books a little bit more. So maybe I'll switch over to carnal love one of these days. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I just was going to read a real quick little uh, snippet here from the one about marrying books or marrying libraries, the one where she's merging with her husband. So she says, our transfer of books across the Mason-Dixon line that separated my northern shelves from his southern ones took about a week. Every night, we lined up books on the floor, interlarding mine with his before putting them on the shelves, which meant that for a week, we had to hopscotch over hundreds of volumes in order to get from bathroom to kitchen to bedroom. We physically handled, fondled really, every book we owned. Some had inscriptions from old lovers. Some had inscriptions from each other. Some were like time capsules. My major British writers contained a list of poets required for my 1970 12th grade English final, a postcard with a 10-cent stamp dropped out of George's copy of On the Road. 
As our piles accumulated on the floor, we had several heated debates about not just which books should go together, but where they should go. I had lived in the loft for nine years before George moved in, and English literature had always occupied the most public spot, the wall facing the front door. George thought American literature deserved this place of honor instead. So anyway, I mean, I'm not going to keep going, but it's you get a little snippet of just, you know, there's there's some humor to it, but it's also just that unapologetic passion for books and, and you know, marrying them together and, and all that stuff. So I don't know if you've read that one or heard anything about it, but I, I, I love it. She has a couple other essay collections that I really enjoy, but this one in particular is my favorite, I think. I did see, uh, I've seen that book around online. And, and in fact, when I was making sure that I wasn't completely forgetting something I should put on this list, I did Google books about books and saw that one like at the top of several lists, yeah. uh, but I've never read it. So having it at the top of those lists, I was already intrigued, but, but yeah, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. It's just so, it's just so fun. I mean, it opens up the door and have someone who's able to write so well about right. things that, you know, we all kind of share, but maybe have never thought about the significance of, or been able to articulate the significance of is so nice. So that's, yeah. that's fun. I'm excited about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, It's a good one. How about you? What's your first one? So my first one, I'm going to do a book called The Possessed. This is a book by Elif Batuman, mm. and the subtitle is, as many of these books have, right, right. <laughs> is Adventures with Russian Books and the People Who Read Them. Batuman, uh, you know, I haven't heard too much from her um, over several years. I used to, you know, follow her on Twitter and uh, we were tr- Twitter friends. Mm-hmm. We actually, ba- based on this book, one day kind of got into. A, I may have mentioned this before. It's my one, my one brush with with literary celebrity, <laughs> right. with Joyce Carol Oates. She she kind of got after us for being too critical of someone using some of the stuff that Batuman talks about in this book, where mm. she talks about the messiness of Russian writers. You know, many people have the same name just mm-hmm. like in life and, and, uh, you know, various things like that. And I, she thought we were maybe a little bit too snide and, and came in and Batuman said, well, if I had the same problem as this author we're criticizing, I'd just laugh my way to the bank, you know, right. <laughs> um, but at any rate, this book was a, a really nice, again, it's, it's slightly memoirish because she is talking about her own experiences of growing up as a reader of these kinds of books sometimes latching onto them and other times not, but really digging into them and finally starting to understand some things, not just about herself, but about life. In fact, one of the, one of the quotes I would pull is I didn't care about truth. I cared about beauty. It took me many years. It took the experience of lived time to realize that they really are the same thing. And, you know, she, she goes through and, and is talking about Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and, and uh, Singer and, and various other authors here. My, I myself have read some of the highlights of these Russian authors, but I'm not well versed in it by any means. And I, I really enjoyed her book here, and, and both because of what it had to say about, you know, this wealth of richness in these books uh, but also about her own personal experiences. In fact, she she really articulates well something we've talked about before, those reading memories. Mm. She says, there are certain books that one remembers together with the material circumstances of reading, how long it took, the time of year, the color of the cover, you know, just those kinds of things. And, yeah. and so I, I really enjoyed um, enjoyed this book. I refer back to it quite often because I really resonated with a lot of the things that she has to say about about reading and about criticism. It's it's a book of criticism as well, 
kind of a well-rounded, a lot of things going on book. So yeah. that's my first one. Well, that's a great one. I actually listened to the audiobook of that a few years ago, and I really enjoyed it too. Have you ever read any of her other stuff? Because she has several other books. I, have, I actually have not. Yeah, I haven't um, either. Maybe that's why I haven't heard from her in a, in a while. Yeah, um, exactly. I've seen her tweeting and stuff. I haven't been, I'm not worthy. <laughs> yeah, she's waiting for the follow-up. No, that's a great one. I really, you kind of talking about it made me want to reread it. And it also reminded me of, I think we talked about George Saunders with, you know, his yeah. recent book all about the Russians. So I keep eyeing the Brothers Karamazov, you know, as we've talked about too. And uh, that's one, just when I read about the Russians, with all of their messiness and, and everything else that comes with it, I always get inspired. Like that it's time to dip back in, you know? So here's, here's just a slight tangent. Okay. Uh, and, and you, you know, no pressure and you can obviously change your mind about anything, but we are starting to come up on classic reading time, fall weather, mm-hmm. you know, we're not quite there when we were, we were recording this, but you've mentioned, you know, maybe I'll try and read that one this year around the holidays or this year, you know, at that time of, of year. Have you started to settle in on anything? You've got your eyes on anything. I've got my eyes on everything, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I still think I'm leaning towards Don Quixote um, yeah. because that one is, as I've mentioned, just is one that's really at, near, at or near the top of my list. But I would say the Brothers Karamazov is the other one. It would probably be one of those two. But then the more I think about it, you know, it gets dangerous because then I'm like, yeah, but Dickens is so good around the holidays and I've never tried Trollope. <laughs> and, you know, it goes down that road pretty quickly. But, yeah, I would well, say you, those. Oh, go ahead. You, say, you have the great ability to at least do something, though. Um, I become paralyzed by that and don't do anything. Like I've got, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm going to read one of these three books. Which one? And then the time passes and it turns out I didn't read any of them because I couldn't make a decision. But but I've never I mean, maybe I'm, you know, looking at, at your your life and and always seeing your accomplishments. Maybe you feel that way too to an extent. But right. um that's something that I've always found impressive is that you may not know right now what you're going to do, but I I definitely have faith you're going to pick one and do it. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. No, I just don't tell you about all the ones that I paralyze myself with. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. It definitely happens both ways, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it is something where, you know, once I get my, my sight set on it off and I'll move it over to a pile next to the bedside table and just kind of have it sitting there, you know, like yeah, where I can't forget about it. So yeah, I'll, I'll update you as we go forward, but those are the two that are kind of calling to me. Do you have anything, um, that you're thinking about? I, I haven't yet. I need yeah. to do that. I do, but I'm not quite, I haven't, I haven't done that. Honestly, I kind of consider this again, this shows where my mind has been. I feel like I'm doing something like that by finally dipping into this Mistborn trilogy. Yeah. Cause oh, they're absolutely. each like 700 pages and it, it feels like, cla- you know, we're recording this at the very end of July. And it's kind of like, great. Just, you know, have some fun. Uh, reading at the end of uh, at the end of summer, mm-hmm. and so I feel like I'm enmeshed in that right now. But I I do want to pick some books that will that I'll be focused on for the for the fall weather and for the holidays. So yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll do an episode in the next little bit about specifics on that. I think we should <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you want me well, to jump over to my second one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So the second one I picked is called Yellow Lighted Bookshop: A Memoir, A History by Lewis Busby. So again, I don't remember a lot of these. I don't remember how I came across them. I'm guessing it was either recommendations online or again, a search looking for just these types of books because I really do enjoy them. So 
This one from the blurb, I'll just give a little bit. It says it celebrates the unique experience of the bookstore, the smell and touch of books, the joy of getting lost in the deep canyons of shelves and the silent community of readers. So it, it, it is definitely a memoir and a history. I mean, it's an accurate description. So Busby, you know, he talks about his time. He's, he worked for years in the book business, you know, starting as a teenage clerk at a, at a bookshop that's now no longer around. So there's kind of that, you know, elegiac, you know, bookstores. This was written probably in the early 2000s. So I think there was a lot of concern at that mm-hmm. time about the impact of digital books and, you know, the big booksellers and Amazon and all that, which some of that's still true to this day. So there's a lot of that mixed in. But yeah, he came from a family that kind of only had, unlike Fadiman, it only had a, a mild interest in books. He talks like about Reader's Digest condensed books up on the shelves and that type of thing. But then it talks about how he started, you know, through high school and other things, like starting to develop that passion for books and, and growing up and, and, you know, learning all the different parts of it. But then in addition to the memoir, he also mixes in, you know, some history of books and libraries and bookstores. So, you know, he talks about the great uh-huh. library at Alexandria and the printing press and, you know, the coffee house, the role of coffee in, in books. So it's, it's a really interesting blend. I liked it too, because it talked about, you know, you and I have talked in a recent episode about B. Dalton and Walden books, and he talks about the impact that those had on smaller bookstores. You know, we have nostalgia for them, but at the time, to some extent, they were the Amazon that was kind of taking things over. So, you know, it, it's kind of scattershot, um, but it's really, I, I keep seeing it described as gentle. And I think that's a really good description of this book. You know, it's just very, um, peaceful and interesting. I'm going to read just a quick little snippet here. Um, So it it says, the book is a uniquely durable object, one that can be fully enjoyed without being damaged. A book doesn't require fuel, food, or service. It isn't very messy and rarely makes noise. A book can be read over and over, then passed on to friends or resold at a garage sale. A book will not crash or freeze and will still work when filled with sand. Even if it falls into the bath, it can be dried out, ironed if necessary, and then finished. Should the spine of a book crack so badly the pages fall out, one simply has to gather them before the wind blows them away and wrap with a rubber band. So I really like that part. It just <laughs> gives you a, an idea of kind of the, the tone of it. And then there's one more little section that I really like. It says, November, a dark, rainy Tuesday, late afternoon. This is my ideal time to be in a bookstore. The shortened light of the afternoon and the idleness and hush of the hour gather everything close, the shelves and the books and the few other customers who graze, head-bent, into the narrow aisles. There's a clerk at the counter who stares out the front window, taking a breath before the evening rush. I've come to find a book. And so oh, I just... I like that a lot. I do too. Yeah, so, you know, that gives you a, a few little snippets of, of kind of the tone, but it's just, again, that contagious passion and just, I don't know, it's it's exactly what I think about when I'm thinking about, you know, books about books. It's just that, that love that, that comes through the writing. Awesome. Yeah. I've never heard of that one, uh, but that I really like the tone there. I've never really been like excited it. about a Tuesday in November either, but that yeah. really kind of hits the spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and it kind of captures that, just that the, the weather we were just kind of joking about with like the, the cloudy day and it's kind of, you know, getting dark outside and it's just the perfect time for reading or book browsing. And yeah, so kindred yeah. spirit, I think for sure. Makes me want to go to a bookstore today. I know. Me too. Uh, well, we'll we'll see. I might I might be able to swing that actually later on. Sneak we'll away. It's always a good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one on my list, I want to see if you if you would know it by this name because I didn't. It's the Surgeon of Crowthorn. 
No, I don't know that. Familiar? It doesn't. A tale of murder, madness, and the love of words. Is that starting to ring a bell? <laughs> yeah, that does that does sound more familiar. Well, how about this? This is how I read it. I never knew until I was looking up for this um, podcast that it was called that in England. But the in America, it was published as The Professor and the Madman. Ah. A tale of murder, insanity, and the making of the Oxford English Dictionary. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> this is by Simon Winchester. And it came out in 1998. I read it shortly thereafter, and I actually still have my copy of it. I don't. I don't necessarily do that all the time, you know. Uh, especially with with a book like this, a nonfiction book, I may eventually just be like, okay, I can pass it on to someone else. But I really have a lot of, had a lot of fun with this book, and I still dip into it every once in a while. Um, I don't have any passages to share today because I don't. That's not why I dip into it mm-hmm. for like any inspirational passages. It's just kind of fun to read the story of the how the Oxford English Dictionary was created. And um, as it says here, the professor and the madman who were engaged in that. One of the central contributors was this, you know, quote unquote, madman. And it talks about the time period when the Oxford English Dictionary was being created. It talks about these people. So it goes into a lot But it does go into words. It does go into figuring out what a word means and figuring out the best way to write that down and how to how to compile it for for this massive project of trying to have a dictionary of everything. And how do how do you do something like that? Well, you know, the Oxford English Dictionary is very famous for having done just that. And, uh, you know, I love still going to the Oxford English Dictionary to look up a word and seeing where it came from. Mm-hmm. Not just where the roots came from, but how it was used very first, the very first time we have any record of it being used in English, and seeing what it meant then, and how it's evolved over time to become what it is today. That just is so fun, because you learn so much about language. It makes the word brighten up. It makes the word stand up and give it a little more body to me. Mm-hmm. And it's and this was a fun book to, to introduce me to um, a lot of stuff in the... Uh, in the about the creation of the Oxford English Dictionary, but I probably hadn't used it a ton at that time in my life, 1998. Right. But I certainly have appreciated it a lot since. So yeah, that's a great choice, and I like that it touches on you know a lot of the books so far we've talked about are talking about kind of the the you know the gentleness we used that word a minute ago, or the kind of uh-huh. the good feelings around books and learning and language, but I like that that one also has a little bit of the eccentricity and maybe you could call it the madness of books and and writing Uh because there's no denying that there's that aspect of it too. You know, just that whole idea of whether it's the language or the books themselves, there's definitely some kind of (laughs) mental illness, maybe a little strong, but you know, we all have those, you know, there's that passion that can also turn into more than passion. I've not seen the film adaptation, I Did you by any chance? Uh, yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. I've heard good things about it, but it's I'm I'm guilty of the same thing that I've accused you of. I just enjoy the book too much to really care, right, you know, right. about re- watching the movie. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, I think some of these things got to just stay sacred. So yeah, I don't blame you for that. No, that's a great. <laughs> All one. right. So what is your uh, next? Your your last of our three? Yeah. I'm not going to say top because I don't have any idea if that's how we either of us thought about no. this. I didn't. No, me neither. I yeah. My last of the three that I chose today is called "The Library at Night" by Alberto Mangale. So the last one touched a little bit more on bookstores. This one focuses more on libraries, both personal libraries Mm. and just the idea of libraries in general. So 
you know, it's kind of a celebration of reading in libraries. Um, it's basically the book was inspired by the process of the author. He moved into this 15th century home in France. And so he's kind of creating and organizing his library. And so that's the frame of it. And there's a lot of sections. Some of my favorite sections were just about him at night, you know, just like the title says, kind of roaming around and picking books randomly off the shelf and just kind of the the whimsical nature of what leads you from one book to another. And I loved some of those sections. But like the last book also, it does contain a fair amount of, of history mixed in, the history of the library as well. So it's, again, essays, uh, 15 essays, I think it is. Um, you know, he mixes in all kinds of stuff. It's kind of a um, commonplace book, I guess you could say, where there's biographies mixed in there's anecdotes there's some close readings you know there's even photographs in there so it's just a really interesting collection you know um so again kind of like that last one like i said he talks about again the library at alexandria but he also talks about you know a lot of other places china rome um you know he talks about how google and the internet is starting to change things with kind of what you were just talking about with the oed and other things versus Mm -hmm. googling it and just how it makes it easier, but it also has these other impacts that we may not think about. So yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a a catch-all, all all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, Again, if you don't mind, I'll just read a real quick passage. Oh yeah, go ahead. While you do, Mm -hmm. can you hold it up so I can see the cover while you're... That just looks like a nice book to have and read. Okay, No, it's gorgeous. Um, So it says, Most of us neither shun books in veneration of literature, nor shun literature in veneration of books. Our craft is more modest. We pick our way down endless library shelves, choosing this or that volume for no discernible reason, because of a cover, a title, a name, because of something someone said or didn't say, because of a hunch, a whim, a mistake, because we think we may find in this book a particular tale or character or detail, because we believe it was written for us, because we believe it was written for everyone except us, and we want to find out why we've been excluded, because we want to learn or laugh or lose ourselves in oblivion. Hmm. So I don't know. To me, that's just again that 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 sums up all these, what I love about these kind of books. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I don't know very much about Alberto Monkale, but before we logged in here, I looked up on YouTube just mm-hmm. to see how to pronounce it so that we didn't butcher his name. Yeah. And it looks like he has a lot of lectures out there at, at like universities about Borges. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm very intrigued by both that book you held up as well as to know what else he has to say about Borges. Yeah. Cause I know that there are quite a few books about books that are focused on Borges who himself wrote, you know, we could certainly get into uh, in a fiction books about books. We could do a lot with Borges on, on, on that episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and he does talk about him in this book. Um, I don't, it's been a while since I've read it, so I don't remember all the details, but I know he definitely gets into some of Borges's uh, stories about libraries and, you know, the never ending mm. libraries and all those types of things too. So he also wrote a book a few years ago called Packing My Library. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that it is kind of a follow-up to this one where I think he has to move out of this house. And so it's kind of the reverse process. And if I remember right, it might even involve some culling of the library, which I'm intrigued by, it, but it also sounds kind of sad because, you know, I don't know if there's, mm-hmm. if, if I'm interpreting the way I think it, that I am, then I think it's more about kind of packing it up and moving and having to downsize the library, which I don't know if I want to read about that one, but yeah. Yeah. Our library, our local library has 
Kohl's every year where they sell the books for, you know, 25 cents or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of sad, but I get it because it's very small. They don't, they really don't have the space if they want to keep bringing in new books. But sometimes I see there some of my all-time favorite books and I'm thinking, oh, that's no longer going to just be available to anybody who wants to come to the library and get it. I know. Um, as, as easily, of course, you know, books are also more readily available than ever. Oh, they are. But, but I know what you mean. And seeing all these books that are like, you think about all the worlds that are in there and all the knowledge and all these other things. And you see them just sitting in a cardboard box for 25 cents. And it's like, it, it, mm-hmm. I definitely have some existential moments when I'm looking at things like that. <laughs> Probably go too far, <laughs> but it's like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll have to talk about book calling of our own someday. Yeah, absolutely. I do engage in that. I yeah. feel like it's a cleansing up, uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit cleansing for me, but yeah, it is cleansing and sometimes just necessary. If I want to bring in more books, I, I got to figure out somewhere to put them. So. <laughs> yep. How about All you? Right. What's your well, last one? Well, I did kind of put my number one. I, I said I didn't, but I, as I was talking about these, I saved the one that I wanted to highlight maybe the most for number one. I've talked about it before because it it meant such a a lot to me when I when I listened to it because I listened to the author read it. I've recommended it before. Mm-hmm. It's Andy Miller's "The Year of Reading Dangerously: How Fifty Great Books and Two Not So Great Ones Saved My Life." I don't think he's being too hyperbolic in that title, but the way he I'm not saying he would have died otherwise, but I think that he's talking about this reinvigoration because at the beginning of the book, he talks about a time in his life where he, it was busy. It was too busy. He, he, he wasn't reading and how that was weighing him down and finally putting together that list of betterment that he calls it of 50 books that he was like, I'm going to finally read these. I'm going to do it. And then taking the time every day to do just that, to read one of these books until he finished the the entire list. But the thing that I love about this book is it isn't just about, oh, I did it. I did it. And this was the next book I read. But it's, it's really quite, uh, well, for me, it was very deep mm-hmm. in, you know, you just talked about existential crises of, you know, book calling right. at the library. For me, this was the, the, just a helpful, you know, psychologically healing book that, that really did probably in, in many ways change my trajectory too. I was still reading a lot when I read it and I, you know, I love listening to backlisted because their enthusiasm on there and their wealth of knowledge just really um, is inspirational. It brightens my day. I love that Andy Miller still posts his, you know, the, in fact, there should be one today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm his what books did I read this month, even though in general, I think that he also kind of hates it because people always are like, well, do you not do anything else? Right you know, how, you know the, those snarky comments, but I'm glad he does. I, I mean, I would never tell him, oh, please keep doing it for little old me, but I want to, I've encouraged him before and said, look, I, I get it. If you ever want to stop this, that's fine. But I find it inspirational, eye-opening, encouraging about living life, not just about, Oh, what books did you read? And yeah. why didn't you have anything else? But just, you know, do, doing all that. So um, there, there are many quotes that I could have, but here's kind of from the more depressing part of it at the beginning. He says, hell is other people said Jean Paul Sartre. Don't take this the wrong way, but I think he means you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he talks about in short, this was the period in which the phrase you're never alone with a good book started to sound less like a promise 
and more like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> Just figuring out how to f- still get this um, this mind space to read is a big part of this. It kind of goes along here. You can see his attitude toward a lot of this. That is something I res- that resonates with me. Somebody once described the internet as a library where all the books have been taken off the shelves and dumped in the middle of the floor. Disorganization, however, is not the issue. The internet is the greatest library in the universe. Unfortunately, someone has removed all the no talking signs. <laughs> mm, that's really good. So there's there's just something. I, I, I really did love this book. I still um, refer back to it quite often. It's very well written. Maybe those passages show that he's he's witty. And I would recommend listening to it. You could have a copy too because he has little footnotes, but he's figured out a way to kind of put those in here. But it it it's just inspirational. I mean, uh, we talked about it. I put together my own list of betterment. Barbara Pym's Excellent Women, the book that I'm reading right now that I quoted at the beginning of the episode, is on my list of betterment. I'm not sure when I would have gotten to it had I not just sat down and said, it's time. Mm-hmm. It's time to do some of this stuff again. I can't wait for it anymore, you know. And I, I have felt invigorated. I, I really have felt good. This podcast, in, in many ways, is part of that too, maybe for both of us, but certainly for me, yeah. of keeping it in, you know, keeping it in my life and enjoying these conversations. And yeah, I find it, I find it really um, uplifting. Yeah. And uh, so anyway. No, I agree. It's, it's funny how even something that you love can eventually either lose its luster or, or start to feel like a chore, or you just forget all the things that you love about it. And so whether it's a book, whether it's a podcast, whether it's, you know, sometimes believe it or not, for me, it's Twitter. I mean, like there's different things mm-hmm. that can just remind you and get you passionate about this stuff again and get you adding books to your TBR pile and pulling this dusty book off the shelf that you kind of forgot about that somebody's just raving about. So yeah, I think all that is kind of what makes the reading life so exciting is those books will still be waiting for you, whether it's tomorrow or a year or 10 years down the road and, and rediscovering them through something like Andy Miller's book you know, is one of my favorite things about it. So I, I read that one a while back. I got it from the library. It's been a few years, but every time you talk about it, it makes me want to go buy a copy and kind of just keep it on my shelf. I think I will. Just to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one that's worthwhile. And um, yeah, I, I'm curious. I wonder if he's already posted his books he read in July. I know. We'll you have know. to see after. I'm just like you. I, this. I understand his frustration with people because just oh, like anything, sure. people can ruin anything on the internet, but I always hope that he sees the hundreds of other comments of people either posting their own, that he's inspired them to post it, or just the people saying, you know, please keep doing this. It's it's the high point of my month. Because some people, I think, take it as like this pissing contest of like, oh, look what I did this month. Yeah. But I think for me and for and you and probably for a lot of people that take it in the right spirit, it's not absolutely the opposite of that. It's just, here's what I read. Here's where I am in my life. Let's talk about it. Did you read this book? Did you like that book? And it starts all these conversations and it gets people to buy books and talk about books. And to me, it's everything that I love about and, what and social media them. and read yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, it's and and I get that people can feel that it's a contest because you can feel like you're competing about how many books you read. But I can also understand people just in my own life. I don't want to have this quota or this pressure oh, yeah. to read multiple thousands of books a year. But it. It's never felt that way mm-hmm. to me, these things. I don't think anyone that's doing them is really showing off so much as showing a sense of accomplishment and enthusiasm 
and there are plenty of people who post, you know, short stacks because they, they are living lives. We all get that. Oh, yeah. Mine would be very short. Right. I read like Mistborn this month, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> a really long book. Exactly. Um, uh, but I'm proud of that still. Um, you know, it was fun. It, and I, I don't, I actually don't post mine because I, I just, I don't, I haven't been posting on Twitter very mm-hmm. much, though I love it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a different thing. This can be, you can look at it that way as a contest and a competition and become discouraged by that. But but I agree with you. The people who've done it, and I've never thought he's doing it that way. Mm-hmm. I take it as a as a encouragement and also just a sense of, of, of joy because this is a time of life. I had, this is... This is my experience of the last month. Look how beautiful it could, it was. Exactly. Um, and I'm excited for the next one. Well, and partially too for me, it's I think all of us to some extent have, you know, readers often are quiet or they are isolated from other people who who are like them, or at least they feel that way. And so I think one of the things I love the most about kind of book book social media is you realize that there's all these kindred spirits out there and you get this passion and, and this geekiness and this, you know, you, you don't have to apologize. You're just like, Oh, have you read that book? It's so good. And you know, you can just share all of it. And so to me, it's, it's kind of like this connection that through big chunks of our lives until the internet came around and social media, you know, maybe some of us didn't have that. So yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm with you though. It's he in particular is very inspiring. And, and I know that over in England in particular, their podcast is inspired like, shelves at bookstores like they'll have backlisted shelves or displays and you know it's Mm -hmm. reinvigorated a lot of people to to pick up some of these books that are often forgotten about so yeah yeah how how beautiful can that be so a few years ago there there was a group of women who were all in their you know maybe 60s 50s 60s who asked me if i would read some shakespeare with them oh cool because they'd they loved it when they were in school 40, 45 years ago and never have they felt the ability or the time or, you know, the, the, to get back to it, even though they wanted to. And we were, you know, making plans to go to, to read the, the plays, but then to see where they were being put on around town or around the state. And we went to some of these oh. things together. And I'll tell you what, that was beautiful um for so many reasons because again it was that just a spirit of encouragement of hey we're doing something we've been wanting to do and we're doing it together it's fun it kind of fizzled out over one summer but we did it for quite some time you know we read quite a few plays together uh some with better success than others Mm -hmm. of course but I just love that sense of opening up and you're right. What you, the reason I bring this up is you said, you know, you can see these lists and you can see, you know, backlisted being inspirational because it's making people go and read something that they probably otherwise wouldn't have. And maybe they wouldn't be reading anything, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not to say that those are the most meaningful books. Those are the ones they should have read. They would have been reading trash. Otherwise, I think a lot of people wouldn't even be reading, you know, it's kind of like I talked about earlier. There's so much choice out there. There's so much else to do. Um, the internet's always a drag on on mind space mm-hmm. and, and is always a distraction. Uh, not to mention just all the other things in life that this kind of stuff can inspire people to do something that uh, they find meaningful uh, together and to communicate about it. it it's it's wonderful. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, that was a little bit of a tangent. Right. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, you know, exactly. For, for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, 
do you have anything you want to kind of recommend today um, yeah. before we sign off? I thought I would stay in our um, on our theme here. And there is a documentary called The Booksellers. I don't know if you've heard this one or seen it, but mm-hmm. I kept seeing it on the Internet and finally found that it was streaming and I watched it. it it's exploring the world of antiquarian and rare book dealers. So it's adjacent to this. It's it's fascinating. It's very um, it's mostly in New York. Um, you know, it, it focuses on the Argosy bookstore. There's one about Christie's, like auctions of rare books. And then it talks a little bit about the Strand as well. Um, so, huh. you know, it's it's really interesting. I do have some reservations. I mean, it's not exactly what we're talking about today. I mean, there's a little bit of the book passion of readers, but a lot of it is more the book as object because they're antiquarian and rare booksellers. Hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Just really quick. I'll read. It says it's told by eccentrics you've never heard of, but will enjoy meeting dandies and tweeds and bow ties, pear shaped nerds with sloping shoulders, all manner of Dickensian oddballs are as well represented here as you might expect from this arcane enterprise. So, you know, it's just all of these, they're not all eccentric, but many of them are eccentric. Um, but yeah, yeah. Do like that. yeah it, exactly. So it's just, you know, for a book lover, it's definitely one I would check out. Like I said, there's, it does get a little bit more into, you know, chasing these obscure books or these valuable books, which I don't care as much about, but it's still really a good, um, movie worth watching a good documentary. That's actually, I mean, I, I, I will check that out because I find that kind of, I love watching people who are enthusiastic about something, mm-hmm. especially if it's somewhat related to me. I'm with you. I, I, that's not something that drags me to bookstores or to use bookstores. I, I've never caught that bug by any means. I do like on Instagram sometimes seeing some of those where they have like a, you know, a really old, beautiful hardback edition of a book. I can see the, the joy in finding that. And, and, but I've, I myself am like, well, I'd have a hard time reading that, you know, know. Um, so it's just a different, a different kind of, a kind of joy in, in book collecting. I'm definitely a book collector. You know, I know I'm not going to read all these in my lifetime and I'll keep on getting them. And I like to see them on shelves. I'm definitely a book collector, but yeah, not, not one for looking at the antiquarian stuff, but that sounds fun. I love the, the description of Dickensian characters that just brought to mind all those illustrations in his books of these, you know, weirdly shaped uh, people. Exactly. No, there's, there is definitely a little bit of that. It's, it's a fun movie, a fun documentary and really good. I would recommend it for sure. How about you? Well, so my recommendation this week is YouTube. Um, it's uh, Simon Savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've known Simon for, for many years. I've done some podcasting with him in the past. And he is he doesn't need my imprimatur or my recommendation. You know, he's got a lot of people who I think know where he is on Twitter and on YouTube and on Instagram. But I love his his YouTube channel. I love his his book talks. And, you know, he goes on for a while about books that he's wanting to read or has read. It's not just book reviews. And then they're actually sometimes fairly long. But I also love his vlogs his reading vlogs where he takes a, maybe a week and he's been filming, you know, a walk that he's gone on. And then he films him pulling out a book to read. And then he films him with his husband cooking in the background and doing a little dance. I mean, I, 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 I love watching those two. Chris is also just a, a, a joy to follow online, mm-hmm. his cooking stuff and his, you know, they, they just, they go on these hikes and they explore and they, they do these fun things together. And then there's the comfort of reading within all of that. It just makes me feel 
at peace. Mm-hmm. It makes me, and it makes me look to how to dig out those moments in my own life and help others to feel that peace. Hopefully, for me, to an extent, you know, both in my own home as well as online. How can I be uh, a source of of just hey, you know, let's let's be kind. Let's uh, let's enjoy what we're given. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that from, from Simon's page. I'm not sure if that's even what he would intend and, or anything like that. He might be like, what? That's not me at all. <laughs> you know, I, I'm quite sassy and he can be sassy, yeah. you know, but I get the other part of it, which is just, uh, a, a, again, the enthusiasm, this excitement and, um, being able to find nice ways to share it with people. You know, I benefit from it. So I'd recommend Simon's YouTube channel. I think it's just Savage Reads or maybe it it's Savages. Simon Savage. Yeah. That would be mine for today because, again, just so much about books. And he'll show his bookshelves and he'll talk about them and he'll t- he'll talk about book culling. Like, I have to take some of these away now because mm-hmm. I've got some new ones in. And I just, it's just fun. It's fun. It's a lot about books. So, Yeah, I haven't – I need to revisit that one. I, I, I've seen some of his older videos, but I have not seen some of the more recent ones with, with him and his husband. So I need to definitely check that out. Yeah, they're 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 fun. They're just slices of life. I'm like, I I think that would be fun to do this. I don't know if I, but, you know, I'm I'm not really one that I I would want to share it with other people. Not because I think people shouldn't, right? But I just not my personality. Maybe I don't know what it is, but it makes me want to have and to document in some way these moments with my my family. Absolutely. You know, it makes me want to to not just sit around, mm-hmm. but figure out what are we doing today? Yeah. You know, whether it's in the home, watching a movie, even, I'm not saying that's valueless. I, they, you know, that's part of all of this, but it's being kind of deliberate about it. And then, and then having a way to document it, to look back and say, yes, there's a lot of junk going on and, you know, life is hard and I've been having a hard week, but look at this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I managed to find these moments with, um, with other people. So yeah, sounds great. But well, and I, I enjoyed this conversation today, Paul. As always, um, I, I don't know what we're, we'll be doing next time. We've got some plans for sure, and we've got a lot of things on the docket. But I'm looking forward to it already. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, <laughs> thanks as always. It's a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time. Thank you.